All right. So 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 14 through 20 is where we are this morning. 2 Kings 22, 14 through 20. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. And uh, if you don't have one with you, there's some in the rows here and some in the back. And if you don't have one back at home, take this Bible uh, that we have provided for you and keep that. That's our gift to you. 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. All right. One thing you'll notice around here if you hang around our church for any length of time is that we really, really love this book. We believe that the Bible is the, the, the words of God recorded for us to, to live by. And so it's been given through various people and various cultures, through various backgrounds and, and different ages and, 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 and different time frames. And, and, and the purpose of it is to reveal to us who God is and his plan for us in salvation. And so we really, really believe this book. And some people might say, come on, man, are you, are, are you serious I mean, we're in Boston. It's a big global city. I mean, the book, really, it's so archaic. Get with the times, right? Anybody ever heard that? Some people might say that. I mean, really, what use would that book have for us today? It's so oppressive. It's so patriarchal. It's so irrelevant. It's so, so dated. My first question always is, have you read it? That's my first question. And have you studied its historicity to see why we actually have a reason to believe it? See, I think so many people just assume that, that Christians mindlessly buy into the Christian faith. Like it was a very timely crutch for when life got really hard for you. It was a good crutch to kind of lean upon. Or it's a nice tradition that you received from your family, and so if that's how you want to honor them, go for it. Or you know what? It just works for you, and so I get it. If it works for you, that's, that's great. I have something that works for me, but if it works for you, that's, that's great. Let me just say this. Here's, here's our official stance as a church. That is not what we advocate. That is not what we think. We want our people to be well-informed, culturally aware, biblically-minded people who really deeply believe this, not because they're trying to honor mom and dad or grandma, not because it works for them, not because, you know, life got hard and it just, you know, it was there for me in that time. No, we don't want our people to be mindless drones who just do what they're told to do and believe what they're told to believe. We don't want that for you. And I, and I don't want that for my kids. Parents, do you want that for your kids? Just believe what I tell you to believe and, and be quiet, right? No, because a, a faith that goes unquestioned is a faith that is very weak, I don't want my, my kids to head off to college and to have some pious professor stand before them like this and, and start to question their faith. And all they have to say is, uh, well, mom and dad believed it. it. It worked for them. I guess that's why I, I believe it. No, I want my little daughter to grow up and just be a beast at college and just stand up for the Lord and, and, and know why she believes what she believes and really have a, have a good response. Or Here's why I believe the, the Bible. We believe this book and we invite you to question this book because a faith is founded on a book. All faiths are founded on some kind of word. And so question that word and see if it really holds up. And so question question. We believe that you'll find answers. We believe that you will be stronger for it. And so at any time in this room, we will have believers and we will have seekers. We will have those who are confident and those who are questioning, a little bit skeptical. We want to be a place where it's safe to question. I think that's a good thing as you look at that church we keep referring to in Acts chapter 2, the very first church, the church in its purest form in its infancy, says they were just growing day by day. You can't grow day by day if you don't allow people to come in and seek and question and ask. And so we have space for that here. And we deeply believe the Bible. That is the stance of our church. We fully want to live by the book. But if you don't, you're welcome here on your journey. So last week we began this teaching series looking at the life of the, the, this great king, King Josiah. We started to look at uh, his story, this, this young guy who was moved by the book. And, and so just to recap a little bit, if you're, if you're unaware, his story is he's one of the kings in the era of the kings who, who was a good king. 
king of, of Israel. The, the kingdom had been divided for some time, uh, the northern and, and, and the southern. The, the northern has now been taken into captivity, Assyria, and, and the southern kingdom is actually getting very, very close because things are really going south. They're very corrupt. They're, 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 they're very wicked. And, and the southern kingdom is the line from which Jesus will come, the line of, of, of David, uh, the, the, the kingdom or the people of the tribe of, of Judah. And, and these kings were to be, for God's people and for the world, these, these images, this prophetic image of who Jesus is and his goodness and his grace and his holy kingdom that will be inaugurated in the days ahead. But among the northern and the southern kingdom, there are 39 kings and 31 of those kings are incredibly wicked. 31 of those kings are very wicked. Of the eight others, there are, uh, there are eight that are good. Of those eight others, there's one guy, his name is Josiah. And he's the guy we're looking at. And he's one of the very few good kings. Now, Josiah's grandfather is this guy Manasseh. Not the tribe, but this man named Manasseh. He was wicked, wicked. And his son was Ammon. And again, terribly wicked. They were involved in idol worship of all kinds. Stuff that to us would just be like, are you serious? God's word was right there, but we weren't immersed in it. And so we can't really point fingers because we tend to drift as well. But you look at it and say, Really? And then also involved in, and even child sacrifice to this false god, Moloch. I mean, just completely forsaking the ways of Yahweh, God, the God of Israel, our God even today, the one true God. And as kings, they naturally just led people astray, away from the, the Lord. And, and virtually eradicating the scriptures. I mean, at this point, people don't even care about the scriptures, don't even know much about the scriptures. So that the book of the law of, of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, are just, they're, they're gone. Who knows where they are? It got so bad that Ammon, Josiah's father, he had a couple of servants who rose up and slew him. He was so wicked, they just completely killed him, leaving Josiah with the throne of David in the temple uh, and around the temple in Jerusalem at the mature, competent age of eight, right? An eight-year-old king. That works out really well, doesn't it? Now, by God's sovereign plan, here's what he's doing. Eight years later, he's now 16 years old, and God reaches down, and he starts to turn Josiah's heart to the Lord. Complete departure from generations before him at age 20 which is the age of adulthood in Israel at age 20 he says all right now we're going to start to get down to some business and he starts to to tear down uh, the altar starts to 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 just clean house right fulfilling a 340 year prophecy about him by name he tears down these altars to to false gods at age 26 he starts to repair the the temple where god is to be rightly worshiped it had fallen in disarray because nobody cares anymore about the worship of god and at age 26 he starts to clean it up and while they're doing renovations we read in in the temple hilkiah who's the high priest there declares i found the book I found the book in the midst of construction somehow. This book of the law that they had not been following uh, appears. It's this massive discovery. We don't know if it was hidden in a hole in the wall. We don't know if it was deliberately put away by some wicked people or if it just they didn't care and, and they just didn't make it a place of prominence and importance anymore and it just kind of fell to the wayside. But he found the book. It was this awesome discovery by Hilkiah. He brings it to Josiah by way of his assistant, Shaphan. And, and he gets to hear the, the book. It's an amazing, an amazing discovery, right? And so Hilkiah the priest, Shaphan, Josiah's secretary, and Josiah, when they all get the book, what do they do with the book? Do you remember? They get the book and they, they read it, right? That's what you do when you have a Bible, Right? Go figure. They read the book. It's not just this good luck charm sitting on your coffee table that makes you feel good about yourself, right? The, the book is, is not even reserved for pastors and, and for theologians, much like a law book that your attorney reads, because we don't read those, right? No, the, the book is a book that you, me, we are intended to actually read and to, to live by. And so Josiah reads this book, and he's just completely broken, isn't he? I mean, just completely broken. He, he takes his clothes, he tears them. It's a sign of, of mourning and, and, and turning and repentance. And he tears his clothes and he just weeps. 
It's just broken over this deal. And as a leader of God's people there in Judah, his brokenness was saying, okay, this is where the kingdom needs to go. We need to be broken over what God's word has to say. Last week, we talked about the indestructibility of the word of God, that throughout the ages, people try to to eradicate this book, but even down to the last copy in the temple there, it's indestructible. It speaks to us of the value of what we're holding in our hands or inside of our pocket on an app, right? It's a privilege to have a copy of, of God's word. It's a tremendous privilege. Now, here's what we see as we look at today's text. We start to see, okay, now we have a copy. We sit in the weight of the fact that we have a copy of God's Word. Now, how do we begin to engage the the, the Scriptures? We want to talk about engaging the Scriptures. In other words, reading it, yes, but now also interacting with it. Not just reading it and putting it down and saying, okay, I feel better about myself. I've done my spiritual duty for the day. So when Josh or somebody in our church, a leader, asks me, how's your Bible reading going? I could say, I'm doing pretty good. I read it. No, how do we actually engage, interact with the, the book? And so let's, let's read on in the story here. And we're going we're gonna to look at 2 Kings uh, chapter 22. And we're going to pick up, actually, let's pick up in verse 11. Let's start where, kind of towards the tail end of where we finished last week. It says this. It says, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Hayakim the son of Shaphan, and Akbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for Judah, concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written in it concerning us. So, the, the book is discovered. It's read by Hukiah, passed on to Shaphan. Shaphan reads it. He then brings it to Josiah. He reads it to Josiah. And what is his immediate reaction again? His reaction is just complete brokenness. Are you kidding me? We have not been living this way. We've been so wicked. He's just broken. And, and why? Because He's come across so much in the scriptures that just say, listen, here's the Lord. You are to fear him. You are to follow him. You are to live a life chasing after him and in complete faithfulness to him. And, and you've turned from that. And it just, it just broke this guy. I mean, that's a very good response. Psalm chapter 51 verse 17 says, A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you do not despise. So what's the opposite of despising it? He loves it, right? He loves when we have a broken and a contrite heart because it's us coming to a place where we're saying, I'm no longer trusting in myself. It's not about me and my power and my centrality in my life. It's, no, it's not me. I'm looking to you, God, for direction. Now, after that immediate reaction, how does he continually engage this book? Because Hebrews will tell us that the scriptures are living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. So it's not like a one-time read. You read a book and you got it, right? No, it's a, it's a book you continually read and every time it comes up against your heart and your life, it's still doing work, right? It just do, does work in, in our, our lives and we continually engage the scriptures. We continually interact with the, the scriptures. And, and, and so it's something that, that, listen, I want us to really latch on to, that we have to learn how to engage God's word and deal with God's word, and not just read God's word. That's where we start, but now we engage it. So I just want to give us uh, five ways in which we can engage the book as we look through this story a little, little further. And so if you're a note taker, here, here's the first one, is that we prayerfully approach it. We, we prayerfully approach it. So again, in, in verse 13, we see that after he's tearing his clothes, what does he do? He tears his clothes and then he appoints his five closest advisors and he instructs them, okay guys, here's what I want you to do. Verse 13, he says, go and inquire of the Lord for me. He says, and for the people of, or for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. So when we read the book, every time we read it, we need to inquire of the Lord. We need to say, okay, I've read it. And it's not just so I can say, okay, I did it, I read it, I feel good. But you read it, you say, okay, God, now that I've read these words, you've given me these words. Now now what? Now now what what do I do with them? 
I don't want to just be a hearer of the word. I want to be a doer of the word. And so what do I do with this passage that I'm reading today? And it might be where our minds typically go is stop doing that or start doing that, right? Stop this particular sin or start doing this, the sin of, of, of omission. You're omitting doing this. You need to start to do it. Very clear sin issue that you read and say, okay, I got that. It, it may be just a truth about God that you read. And you say, okay, that's who, who he is and that's, that's true about him and I need to receive that. Like Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so you can't say, okay, what do I do? What do I do? We're always about doing, but okay, what do you want me to do with this verse? Maybe God just says, I, I want you to, to internalize that. I want you to receive my grace. I'm so bogged down with shame. But what I want you to do is I want you to receive my goodness and my grace and be freed from the shame that you're feeling. Maybe, maybe it's an attribute of God that you read about and you learn about this particular attribute of God and, and you need to apply that to your life. Maybe you learn a little bit about his power or his, his sovereignty or his love or his fatherly care or his attention to detail or his concern for the outcast as you read about that and, and, and you read that and you say, okay, God, what, what do I do with that? How does that apply to, to me? With each reading of the word, we ask, okay, God, what do you have for me in this? I don't want to just checklist read it. I want to, I want to engage this. How might I respond every time we, we, we do that? And it doesn't have to just be before or after, like before, okay, God, I'm about to read. Help me to respond well. Okay, I've read it. Okay, now after, okay, God, now what do I do? What do I do? But you can actually do this while reading the scriptures, right? You can, you can pray through the scriptures. This is something that, that, that I do often. Our, our staff just did it a few weeks ago together. We were obviously in a very difficult place. We, we prayed through Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 7. Uh, for some of you who don't know the story, as of like a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, we didn't have a worship space. And so we're saying, okay, what are we going to do? We got all these people and it's starting to get cold. You know, we could go under the overpass and Jamaica Plain and hang out there, but I don't know, it's not going to last very long when the snow flies. And so what are we going to do? And, and so we just said, this is tough. We were praying. People were fasting. The church was involved. It was an amazing thing. And the staff got together for a staff meeting and we prayed through Philippians 4, 6, and 7. We said, okay, be anxious for nothing. So we stopped. Okay, God, we confess we are anxious and it is sin. Because you have this. You are in complete control. We confess. And we, we, we pray through the, the, the scriptures. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. Prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. Okay, so God, here's our request. Our request is that you would give us somewhere to worship. God, our request, let's, let's get specific because you're into the details. We want to stay in Rosendale. God, we want to be in the heart of Rosendale where our walkers can walk to church. God, we want to be in a place where we can make a great impact. We want to be in a place where we can partner well. And look what God's done. He answers our our very specific prayers, right? And then we say, okay, God, and with thanksgiving. Okay, so God, we have a lot to thank you for right now. And so we just paused and stopped thinking about the building so much and just said, let's just pray about all the good stuff God's doing. So we just started talking about you. We were gossiping in good ways about you. Man, that girl, her life is just on fire for the Lord. Man, do you see what he did the other day? It's so cool. Do you see that connection group over there just blowing up? God's doing, we're just praising God, right? And what happens when you get thankful? You're focusing on the good stuff and not on the, the weighty stuff that's bothering you and hard on you right now. And so you're, you're thinking on what's good. God knows what he's doing. So we pray through the, the, the scriptures. God, thank you for the lives that you're changing. Thank you for the disciples that are being raised up. We just thank him, right? And and as we did this, the end of the the passage came to fruition right there in the midst of that meeting. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, came upon us, guards our hearts and minds. We came in kind of stressed out, trying to figure out what we're going to do. And we left with peace and excitement, right? It's an amazing Amazing thing, right? Every time you come to the scriptures, before, after, and right in the middle, come to the scriptures prayerfully. And God's going to show you, here's what I want you to do with 
my word. They, they inquired of the Lord. The, the next way we see Josiah engage, interact with the scriptures is, is this. And, and I think it's so important for us is that we communally apply it. Look at verse 13. So he says, uh, go inquire of the Lord for me. Yes. That's what we kind of stop at all the time. Okay, what do you have for me, right? He goes on, and for the people and all of Judah, right? He's saying, I want to know what's in it for me. I want, you, I want to know what you want to do in me through this and how I respond. But I also want to know how we respond. How often do you look at God's word and, and use the word we or us? What does this mean for us, right? One thing that I cannot get away from in the scriptures is just the communal aspect in the scriptures so often God is addressing families right Deuteronomy 4 Deuteronomy 6 tell it to your son and to your son's sons right the the family piece of this or he, he speaks to marriages very directly he speaks to whole nations very directly in Revelation he speaks to specific churches very directly We've got to train our minds to stop being so self-centered all the time and ask the question, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Like, Like Josiah, we've got to learn to apply God's word to our kingdom. Now, without getting puffed up, ask yourself, what is my kingdom? Where is the area that I have some leadership over, some some, uh, sphere of influence over, and and how does God's word apply to my kingdom? For me, it's first my marriage and my family, right? And so Becky and I are are both very responsible in the eyes of the Lord. We have to be responsible to not just apply scripture to myself, but to each other, right? So if you're unmarried, that's what you want to look for, somebody who you can talk about the Bible with, right? So the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, right? If you're all about Jesus and you're all about his word for you, if you have a partner that you can't even talk about God's word to, things are a little askew. God knows what he's doing. He's saving you from a lot of heartache. And he's bringing you to a place where you can discuss with your believer, believing partner God's word. And so, Becky and I love to talk about the scriptures together. And we'll sit down a few times a week together and read the scriptures or read a devotional together and just talk about it. Now, I'm a pastor, so I just want to sit down and, like, parse verbs and stuff and just go real. She's like, bro. No, she doesn't say bro, actually. She says, Josh. Josh, seriously. Let's, can we just read it? And it's okay, okay, I'm going to stop preaching right now. And it's hard for me. But listen, we, we've got to do that and serve each other well. Learn how they like to, to learn and discuss and grow in, in, in the word, right? And then... Our, our little kingdom is our, our, our family, our, our immediate family. We have to ensure that we're teaching and passing the book on to our, our, our children, that they're in the book, they're growing in the book, they're memorizing scripture, they're, they're, they're learning the truth of God. Dad, you got to take the lead here. The Lord makes it very clear that he's looking to you to take the lead here, to, to step up, and if you've never done it before, or you've vowed to do it before and then you failed a little bit, you just stop doing it. And it might be awkward to step it up again, right? And, and ladies in here, don't be like, sure, now Josh says something. You're gonna st-. No, you want to you encourage them in this, right? But, but, but we got we to gotta step it up here, right? Lead a family devotional. Don't say I'm going to do it every single night of the week, but just start somewhere that you can actually attain it, right? Just say I'm going to do it a couple times a week. And if, uh, if that's working, let's grow and, and, and do more, right? Don't romanticize this in your head, by the way, families. This is not as, as beautiful as you might think it is. I don't sit down in my leather chair, my kids sit Indian style in front of me and go, Father, disciple us. That does not happen. That is not what it looks like. In fact, it's like, all right, let's read the Bible. Get over here right now. And it's just scooping them up. All, it does, it's, it's not romantic at all, okay? I mean, just not happening, right? We just try to kind of keep it fluid, right? So not long ago, we, we said, okay, we're, we're in the book. And, and we were reading through the, the story of Rahab. And, and they just weren't having sitting down. And so I said, all right, what are we going to do? I looked at my wife. She's like, oh, this is crazy. And I, and I said, okay, 
let's have a play, right? And so we acted out the, the story of Rahab, and the boys were the spies, and they went and got all their secret gear on, you know, and then I'm like, I don't know, they had lasers back then, but that's still cool. And so we, we acted the thing out, and then Nora is Rahab, and then one of the kids is like, Daddy, what's a prostitute? I said, not Nora, okay, so let's just, <laughs> and we moved on real quick, right? That's, now's not the time for that. But we're, we're, we're trying to get into God's Word, right? Trying to do something trying to do something and, and start somewhere, right? My little kingdom. And sometimes families are like, is this worth it, really? It is, trust me. So much more is, is caught than is taught. So even for you just making a habit of sitting down and, and, and reading your Bible in the morning. My kids think it's strange if they wake up and I'm like on my laptop and not in my Bible with coffee. Like, oh, where's your Bible? Like, yeah, you're right. I probably should get off Facebook right now, right? So much is, is, is caught by your children, even when you think you're not doing well. Just put the effort forward. Now listen, let me say something. I heard this this week from uh, Pastor Matt Chandler. Some of you guys know about him. It was so good. He said this. He said, where the ideal is lacking, God's grace abounds more and more. So some of you are saying, oh man, that sounds really cool, but I'm not married. And my marriage fell apart. And I don't have that father figure. Listen. Where the ideal is lacking, God's grace abounds. You could look through the scriptures, and I'm telling you what, you can look at story after story after story of mothers who just pleaded with the Lord on behalf of their children, and what did God do? You see some mighty men and women of God raise up because of that. So where God's, I heard the ideal is lacking, God's grace abounds more and more and more. And so to communally apply the word means, yeah, marriage, yeah, family, and with your church, too. We've talked about this before, but remember that before the printing press, which is kind of actually a, a pretty modern discovery or creation or invention, before the, the printing press, churches would get together with their copy of the Bible. And what would they do? Together they would study the, the scriptures, right? This is something that we have to do often. It is so important for us as, as believers to study God's word together, to talk it out to, together. In Acts, you read about the believers coming together like this in the temple, large group, but you also see them scattering out, Acts chapter 46, in, in homes. So there's a reason why we do what we do. It wasn't just some kind of little cool creation that we made that, hey, man, that might be cool to study the Bible in, in homes. No, we, we believe it's, it's a biblical practice. And, 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 and for me and my family, it's, it's a huge blessing, something that we do. And, and some of us might say, well, that's just not our thing. We don't really, no, we don't do the house-to-house thing. It just doesn't work for, for us. But it's not about just you, right? It's never been just about you. As we read through the Bible, we, we can come to church in large gatherings so that we can do what? We can spur one another on. And so maybe, maybe it's tough to be engaged in a home and studying the scriptures with other believers. And I know it's never ideal for a family. Trust me, I got kids, right? But it's so important because when you say, I'm just not going to be able to do that. No, that's not us. You're forsaking providing for somebody else the opportunity of your input and that communal input of the word into their lives. It's so, so important. It's a biblical practice. It's a worthy sacrifice. If we haven't made it clear here at the church, we want you to be plugged into a group. You feel a little bit disconnected? Are you plugged into a group is my first question, right? You're like, yeah, I want to talk. I want to study the word. Have you plugged into a group? Give it a try, right? Communally apply the scriptures. We got to talk about it with our friends. We got to talk about the word often, right? Is it something that you bring up? Here's what I'm studying. It was so cool. God taught me this. It was so awesome. Talk about it. I'm listening to this podcast. I heard this sermon. Share it, right? Let's, let's talk about the word. Can you imagine if we each did this? If we, were, we really made it a, a practice that we talk about the word often. We want to be a biblically saturated people. We just want to be about, about the word be so cool if we did that now here's a question does this communal application of the word apply to non-christians that's a that's a that's a pretty big important question right 
So what do we do about those who don't follow Jesus? Do we say, well, right here it says, right? What do do we do with those people? What, What happens a lot of times is when we start to have them follow every single letter of the law, it clouds for them the gospel and Jesus. Because we start to apply to them commands of Scripture when they don't even have Jesus in their heart yet, right? And so we have to be very, very cautious here. And I'm not saying that the word doesn't apply to a non-Christian because it absolutely does. But don't call them to do things out of obligation when it should be done out of a heart that's been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's why I kind of struggle with the whole like Fox News thing, you know. I kind of struggle with getting up there and saying we're going to make Americans do what our Bible says when I'm like, I don't know. What if Jesus changes their hearts and then as they read his word, it starts to drift towards, I want to honor the Lord, right? Now, I also need to be cautious that, that I do believe that there are some things that we need to protect. We, we, I, I deeply believe we need to protect what marriage is. Because what for us is like, well, this is a struggle for our kids becomes the norm, right? And they're born into that and there's the drift there too. So we have to be, be cautious here. But be very mindful of how you apply God's word to people who are not believers. Don't cloud the message of Jesus that they need Jesus, right? They need Jesus to free them from their sin. A lot of times we go to the Ian and not the Christ in the Christians. You know what I mean? Start with Christ and then they become a Christian and they live it out. We just go, let me, let me act like Jesus, right? They need Jesus in them first, right? And so, we communally live out this book, apply this book. With, with, with care, we apply the book to each other, to ourselves, to our marriages, to our families, to our friends, to our church, to our neighborhoods, yes, to our workplace, to extended family, yes. Apply the word. What if you are your neighbor's only access to the Bible? They're not looking for the Bible. They've heard about it, yeah, of course, you might not ever read it, but if you and your conversation bring it up, I can't tell you how many coffee shop conversations. What, what are you reading? Oh, you must be a pastor. And I'm like, ah, oh, I am. <laughs> I need people in our church who aren't pastors to be reading their Bible at coffee shops. Right? So we can actually say, yeah, th- this is actually something that non-pastors, non-theologians actually read as well. Engage the scripture communally. Now, the next one we see is, is that we seriously search it out. Look at, look at verse 14 again. Let, let's now read 14. It says, So Hilkiah the priest and Aachim and Akbor and Shaphan and Asiah went to hold of the prophetess, the wife of Shulam, the son of Tikvah, son of Haris, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked with her. So he, he has the book. He wants to inquire of the book. And so what does he now do? He gathers five guys and he sends them out. These are the original five guys, by the way. And he doesn't just send out one guy. He sends out five of them, right? He has this very serious pursuit of the truth. He, he, he's seriously searching out the word. Not, hey, can you do a little, like on the side, you know, just, I know you got some tasks to do, but can you, can you get to that a little bit? some point, just let me know. No, he says, okay, let's go, staff. Hit the road. Find out what is this all about, right? He, he sends these guys out. Josiah wants to understand the word. He wants to understand the scriptures. He's like, we got to figure this out. I'm, I'm going to not half-heartedly seek after the scripture. I'm going to wholeheartedly go after this. Right? Jeremiah 29, 13, right? If you seek me, you will find me. If you search for me with all of your heart. I mean, serious searching of the word, right? He wants to understand. And they go to this woman, a prophetess named Huldah. And she's the wife of this other guy named Shalom. Who, 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 he was responsible for the priestly wardrobe. How about the Bible breaking stereotypes this morning, huh? I mean, what about that? How many, how many cases do you hear people say, oh, the Bible is so oppressive to, to women? But as you read it, 
There's instance after instance after instance of the scriptures breaking cultural norms of the day like Jesus time and time again. Oh, no, it's okay. She can be at my feet. She doesn't need to be in the kitchen. She can be right here with the other guys. Right? Time and time again. The Bible doesn't oppress women. In fact, it presses hard up against the cultural norms of the day. It, it shatters society's perspective of, oh yeah, the Bible just treats women as, as lesser. Paul says things like, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all what? One in who? In Jesus. It's an amazing truth. So here, breaking stereotypes, we've got a male fashion designer and a female prophetess ready to exposit the word and tell these guys what God is, is saying. Explaining God's will to these five men. Wow. Now, these guys could have gone to some, a whole slew of other prophets, by the way. Contemporaries with Huldah are, are Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Nahum, and, and Habakkuk. That's, that's a good selection there. And yet they go to Huldah, right? She's the one they sought out. And they, they seriously wanted to understand the word. Please, please tell us. What is this all about? We've read this book. Please go ask God for us. Do you have a seriousness in your pursuit of the word? Or is it like, if I can get to it, if I can find some time this week, you know, what about making time and saying, I'm, I've got to pursue the word? Do you ever have thoughts or, or, or questions or struggles with Christianity? I do still, sometimes it pops up, whoa, no, I should probably find another church. No, here's what I do. If, if something comes up that, that I struggle with, a, a few years ago I made a practice of, if I have a question I just don't feel equipped to answer, or I struggle with something, it pops in my head, I just, I'm going to write it down. And I'm just going to cease what I'm studying. Like I've been in the book of, of Ezekiel lately. I would just stop Ezekiel and say, okay, if it takes me a couple days or a week or a month, I'm going to get this question answer right seriousness about understanding the the word of god and and josiah says i'm sending out a search party you're going to come back with some answers and you know how i know that you're serious is that if you make a plan if if you're serious about something you're going to make a plan you don't just kind of hope it happens some of you are really serious okay i'm in my 30s now i got to start figuring out what's going to happen when i'm like 60 so I got to start to save some money and figure out this whole retirement thing. I, I better catch up, you know. And so you make a plan, right? Some of you, you, you make a plan about, about your place. I'm going to purchase a place at, at this point when this house gets to this value. I'm going to purchase. You make a plan, right? When it comes to the word of God, if you're serious, you, you make a plan. I deeply believe that. What is your plan for getting into the, the Bible, I mean, I ask people this all the time, and many of you are like, yeah, he did, right? I ask people this all the time, and it's usually, a lot of times it's, it's well, my plan is when I think about reading, I'm going to read, and I'm going to open up my Bible, and I don't ever really know where to go, to be honest. I, I don't even know where to start. And let me just say to him, blue in the face, I'll say it again, we, we have to have a plan. If you aim at nothing, you hit nothing every time, Right? We have to aim at something. Make a, make a plan. I just say who, what, when, where, why. Right? Who? God. Jesus. I'm having a date with God. Here's the date. What am I going to study? Right? Okay, let's, let's say if you haven't started, we're starting the book of Luke. That's, that's the what. When? Sometime today when I get a free chance. Come on, for real. We're all busy. You don't, you're not going to get a chance. Make some time. Set a date, right? Me, I told you it's morning. Some of you got a good long, good long lunch break. Or you got 15 minutes you can squeeze in. Who, what, when, and where, right? My where is very important. It's got to be somewhere where the kids are not, right? That's just how it works for me. Now, I told you, we communally read the scriptures too, but if I'm going to get alone with the Lord, I got to be where the kids aren't because I'm, they're like ripping my Bible, pulling my hair, and I'm like, ah, right? I just want to throw the Bible at them. I, I don't think that's holy. And so I, I got to find somewhere where it's quiet, right? Who, what, when, where, and why? Why? Because we value the book and we read other stories like this and we say, wow, that's a huge privilege that we can have a copy of God's word. Make a plan. Leave here with a plan. He has a plan to get some answers regarding the word. And what does he get? He gets some answers. Let's keep reading though. Look at, look at 15. We'll go through 17. It says, and she, the, the prophetess, says to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, 
Tell the men, or the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. So, he sends his most trusted men out, and they go and find hold of the prophetess. She then goes and she seeks God. And and, and listen, today, because of Jesus, we don't need somebody else to go seek God for us. I mean, it's good to have people who pray for you, intercessors for you. But we can go directly to the Lord. There's one mediator between God and man, and his name is Jesus, right? And so we can go straight to the Lord, and we can pursue him. And what they do in that day is they go to this prophetess, and she goes to God, and she comes back with the word of judgment. She says, because of the wickedness of the people, judgment is coming. And it does. Historically, it comes. 586 B.C., Judgment comes. Babylonian captivity, they completely destroy things. It is a a mess. Here's the thing. Exactly what God had previously told them would happen, it happens, right? He says, Deuteronomy, he says, be careful to do all that I have told you to do. Carefully, pay close attention. Follow me and it will go well with you. Over and over and over again, he says it. And if you don't, it will not go well with you. Exactly what God said would happen, happens. So, what did God tell Huldah to tell them? Judgment coming. It's coming just like I I said it would. Which leads us to our our next way that we engage the scripture. And that is we've got to sincerely believe it. I mean, for real, do we believe this book? And I wonder how many of us, we read it, and we're like, that's cute. It was a good, good story for, for my childhood, and it's cute for my kids, a little lesson. In, do you believe that it actually happened? As you read through other stuff, do you believe that God will actually fulfill his promises? Do you believe that God really means this when he tells you to live this way? Do you believe it? You've got to sincerely believe it. You can take the words of this book to the bank. You've got to believe this book. Consider some things here. Let me just give you a few things. The the Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years. There are are 40 authors, most of whom never even met each other, living on three different continents, speaking three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And yet somehow they share this one story that does not contradict itself. It's internally consistent. It's amazing. There's an overwhelming number of, of, of manuscripts of the New Testament alone. Uh, 5,000 Greek manuscripts, 10,000 Latin manuscripts, 9,000 other manuscripts, totaling 24,000 manuscripts of the, the scriptures. And these are, are, are dated very close. These are dated 100 to 300 years after the originals. It's a very close gap. It's a very close gap. Yeah, we've, we've got gospel fragments dating as early as 130 A.D. We've got the Monomer uh, manuscript of John's gospel, 150 to, to 200 A.D. 50 A.D., the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now let's compare that to some other manuscripts that are out there about things that are taken across the board as history. So Caesar, uh, 10 copies, a thousand year gap from the original. We're looking at 100 a 300 year gap, 1,000 year gap. Tacticus, 20 copies, only 20 copies. We're looking at 24,000 copies, 20 copies, 1,000 year gap. Plato, seven copies, 1,200 year gap from the original. The New Testament, 24,000 copies, 100 to 300 year gap from the originals. I and mean, we could just keep going on and on and on. Eyewitness testimony paid for by Roman officials who could kill them if they made it up. They tried to kind of fudge some things. We could go look at literary consistency. We could talk about prophecy that's been fulfilled. We could talk about archaeological evidence that only supports the Bible, certainly does not contradict the Bible. Here's, here's some things. The, the Bible mentions the Hittites 36 times. Now, for the longest time, people just mocked Christians because of the, the, the Hittites. There's no evidence that the Hittites ever existed. But in 1884, archaeologists found evidence that the Hittites, in fact, were a major ancient civilization. 
Same story goes on about Ur and Sodom and, and Gomorrah in the 1960s. Uh, there, there's tablets known as the Elba tablets found in, in uh, Syria that are, are referencing all of these cities. And people say, no, those aren't even real cities. The scoffers mock these things, but it, it holds up. Don't just say, come on, for real. Press in and see why we actually believe this. Time and time again, the Bible proves to be historically accurate. We do not believe this because it's a crutch. We do not believe this because mom and dad believe this. We do not believe this because it's a blind leap of faith. And isn't that what faith is? It's, it's faith, but it's not a blind leap of faith. You're, you're resting in something. You're putting your weight in something, but not blindly. There's reason to b- believe this, right? Attacked throughout history by political leaders, but never eradicated. Why? Because God says the word of the Lord stands forever, It's communicating to people the story of restoration and hope that is found in Jesus. All the way from the beginning, it leads us to Jesus, right? If you struggle with the word, and it's okay to struggle with the word. I hope we've made that clear. But press in and investigate like Josiah and his team does. Our entire faith comes out of this book. And you've got to have confidence in this book. And the Bible will say things that are hard for us to hear in modern society. But press in even deeper when you hear things that you don't like. And you're going to find answers. And you're able to submit to the book when you see that it's believable and it's historically verifiable. And so we sincerely, sincerely believe this this book. Now, the last thing we need to see in engaging the scriptures Let's read 18 through 20 to the end here. The, the prophetess goes on and says, But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard. Because your heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before the Lord. You heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. So what does Huldah say? She says, okay, yep, disaster's coming. God will do what he said he will do if you do not follow him. But he says, listen, Josiah. She says, Josiah, because your heart was repentant, because you mourned over your sin, you humbled yourself, you, you, you tore your, your clothes. Judgment will not come upon you. Instead, you will go to your grave in what? In peace. Last way that we engage scripture under the example of Josiah here is that we humbly receive it. His humble heart, he received the word when it came against his life. And this is our closing plea to all of us today. That we would humble ourselves under God's word. We would receive it as truth. And that we might have peace because we live this book and we do what he calls us to do. And the first and most foundational thing that he calls us to do is to turn to Jesus. The Bible says that he himself is our peace. And so like Josiah, you can have peace if you would trust in what Jesus has done for you. Just like those people, you're wicked. I'm wicked. We're all wicked. Yeah, there's degrees of wickedness, of course. Of course. But our sin compared to an infinitely holy God is a great offense. No matter how small you think it is or how huge it is, it's an offense. We've turned from him. He gives us life. And he says the wages of our sin is death. We will die and we will be separated from him forever. But he, Jesus, is our peace. He came to earth. He lived the life we could not live. He died the death that he didn't deserve, that we deserved. So that if we would trust in what he did, that is dying on the cross, taking on the payment for sin. If we would trust in that, we might be saved. We might be restored He doesn't just stay in the grave. He paid the price. That's great. But he resurrects to life, showing that I'm king. I'm in control. 
That kingdom that all those wicked, wicked kings did such a miserable job leading, I'm the good and perfect king. And you can enter into my kingdom if you would trust in me. You can have peace if you would trust in me. So some of us today, that's what we need to do today. Let's just today, right? The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, realizing these truths, you turn from sin and turn to him, you will be saved. And I plead with you today, I want peace for you. God wants peace for you. He doesn't have this wrath. He's saying, wipe them out, or I'm gonna wipe them like a dish, like he said about Manasseh. He says, that's it, I'm out. But he extends to you an offer of grace and freedom. Makes it very clear. He says, there's one way, it's my son Jesus. He is peace. So some of us today just need to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved, and I plead with you to do that. In a minute, we're gonna pray. We're gonna ask you to pray too. Pray to God and say, "I'm, I'm yours. I'm turning from sin. I'm turning to you. Others of us in here, we just need to start confessing that, you know what? It's just been a book to me, but I really want to start to engage the scriptures. And I'm going to pray that God would just allow his scriptures to come alive, that you would know firsthand experience that it's living and active in your life. And so let me pray for us, church family. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. What a privilege that we get to hold this book so many have tried to eradicate this book right off the face of the planet. And you and your goodness, you hid it, preserved it, protected it from those wicked kings. And you and your grace, just like you do with us, you reached down and you got a hold of the heart of this young Josiah. As he started to respond to the revelation that you'd given him in his heart, you gave him more revelation, that is your word. And God, I pray for my friends in this room. Some of them have had just the the work in their hearts that you brought them to this place today for some reason. And you've given them more revelation, your word, that shows us how we might be saved from eternal separation from you. And God, I pray for those friends that they would turn to Jesus right now. Pray that right now they would call upon your name. If that's you, call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm turning from sin. I'm turning to you. Thank you for what you've done for me on the cross. Thank you that you've resurrected to life. I believe it. I want to follow you all the days of my life as your disciple. Help me to follow you. That's you. It's that simple. Jesus did all the work. You can now say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of God. You've got to let somebody know. Praise God. And God, for other people in this room, we pray that you would cause us to have a deep desire for your word, for your scriptures, that we would taste it, we would see it, and we would just long for it like bread. We just gotta eat. We want your word. We wanna be fed. It would play out among us in so many fashions, from the public proclamation on Sundays to the homes, to our families, to the dinner table, to conversations with neighbors. May we be a Bible-saturated people. We're just talking about you all the time. We're naturally excited about what you're doing, and we can't help but talk about it. Please do that work. Give us the hunger that we can't just generate ourselves. And as you do that, we'll be careful to give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.